Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's podcast episode is sponsored by Arrow. Arrow is the all-in-one sales tool built for you. In less than three clicks, you can now find assets and share to your customers. Streamline paperwork with deal mode where you can create and send rental deal elements in seconds from anywhere. Arrow is the tool built to power up your rental process with seamless inventory management, smart marketing, and reporting tools all from one platform. Finally, a better way to CRM. Build and close big deals the simple, powerful way with Arrow. Visit rentalarrow.com forward slash podcast to book your demo today. Today's guest is Ash Woodcock. Ash is the owner and CEO of a company called RPM Hire, who recently hit their 10-year anniversary. Now, Ash started RPM Hire when he was just 23 years old and has organically grown the business over the past 10 years. So I'm very interested to understand his mindset on how he started the business in the the beginning and how he's grown the business over the the past decade as well. Because I think it's important that we we get the, the mindset of these young entrepreneurs that are coming into the equipment rental industry as well and understanding the direction of where they're going and how they've gone through some of the challenges they've faced as well. So Ash, thank you for joining me today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got involved in the equipment rental industry? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Tasmania and moved over to Melbourne for university and uh, we're renting a house in Glen Iris and, and five doors down the road was Glen Iris Hire, just a small hire company. And I went and went in there and um, knocked on the door and asked for if they had any jobs going. And yeah, so I started while I was at uni, I started work just on a Saturday um, to pay my way through uni and quickly became really good friends with the boss and the owner there. Love chatting about business and and the higher industry, uh, you know, in general. And then an opportunity came up probably three years into uni where he got offered three variable message signs to add to his business. And I'd been talking about wanting to start my own business one day. And he said, why don't you give this a go? And so I was still at uni. I had 18 months left of uni to go. I had a little bit of money saved up from working in the mines the previous year over in Western Australia. And so I bought three VMS boards for 30 grand. And um, the plan was to sell those when I finish uni and go and get a real job. And that's how I sort of started. Wow. Go get a real job. And now you're fully in rental, yeah? So that is your real job. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. Um, I actually, uh, sort of 12 months in, I actually accepted a job in a management consulting firm. And they pay, they, three or four months went past and the, they thought that they'd put too many people on to start the next year. And um, they actually paid me $20,000 to defer for 12 months. And I said, yep, no worries. And I went and bought another VMS board. And then um, 
I deferred a second year, that job off my own bat. And then by then, you know, the business was established enough that it could support a wage and I could see a real future in it. When you started renting out those three VMS boards, was it called RPM Hire then or what was it called? RPM stood for Roadside Promotions Melbourne because we we were started off hiring them out for advertising purposes. So when I bought the three VMS boards, they'd done about $15,000 worth of sales the year before uh, and mostly in the advertising space. And because I think my assessment at the time was to be hiring them out for traffic management, you needed a lot more um, quantity available. Um, and it was very last minute. So the advertising space was a really good place for us to start out. But it soon, Roadside Promotions Melbourne was too long as a name. So after about three months, we just dropped any reference to that and just kept RPM higher and yeah, just just that it's a little bit catchy and easier to remember and nice and simple. So so talk me through the evolution of RPM Hire then. Was it you working out of your house in your garage? Did you have a premise? Like how did you eventually build up the business? Yeah, it um, it sort of went from it it changed rapidly in those first five years. So start off at my house, then um, when I'm employed my first person actually moved to my brother's house because he had a little bungalow out the back my and then we moved we rented a yard in Oakley um, in southeast Melbourne there was about 300 square meters Um, that was a I think a three-year lease and after a year we'd outgrown that so we moved to another yard on the other side of town in um, airport west and then you'd think I would have learned my lesson, but we outgrew that one as well and ended up trying to, you know, trying to cut that lease short. And so, yeah, it it very much started from home and then we moved and uh, just kept growing at quite a fast pace. But my mantra at the time was a good hire company doesn't need a lot of yard space because all the equipment's out on hire. (laughs) And so, you know, we probably had, 50 trailers when we ended when I ended up moving out of home um, or working from home and I could store maybe six or seven in the backyard there so it you know I really did stretch the boundaries of um, a premise yeah and so talk me through the evolution of the equipment you're renting out as well you said the VMS boards like how, what did you then end up buying as additional yeah so we bought um I think it was after sort of three months, we bought some brand new ones uh, from Bartco. And then um, we stayed solely in VMS boards, I reckon for four or five years. And then we started to move more into the traffic management space. And then, so with that came arrow boards, portable traffic lights, lighting towers as well and then about 12 months ago we ventured into road safety barriers so both concrete barriers and steel barriers so so one of the questions i have is you said you got deferred from uh, doing that management consulting gig and then talk me through that year then like did you when did it get to the point where you said 
I'm not going back. Like, what was the mindset there? Yeah, I think um, the mindset was probably having a fallback option. So instead of just saying to the consulting business, no, I'm not going to pursue a job. I always thought that industry would be really um, interesting and, you know, working on a heap of different businesses and learning a hell of a lot. So I was still attracted to that job and it was very, it was very competitive to actually get offered a job, you know, sort of, I think 700 people applied for it and they took 10. Um, so I didn't want to throw it away, but when they offered $20,000 to defer 12 months, you know, it's like all my dreams came true because I wasn't ready to give the business up. Um, and yeah, I was able to essentially buy myself some time, uh, buy myself 12 months and then I, I asked for a deferral for another 12 months. And by then, you know, we built, built the business to um, a decent size that, you know, it could support my wage. And, and, you know, I think we had three or four staff at the time. Yeah, it just seems like perfect timing for that to occur when you were sort of trying to chase that other dream at the same time. I think it's, it's almost like the stars aligned exactly for when they needed to. Yeah, my whole journey sort of felt like that. I think I, I was at uni um, and doing an a entrepreneur class and we had someone external come in and, and talk to us and he had his own business. And the, the advice he gave was the best time to start a business is now because starting a business requires two things. One, it's an immense amount of time needed in the business and very little income or, or the, the more you can reinvest into the business, the quicker you'll be able to grow it organically. And so when you're young, he, and, and the example he gave is you don't have a mortgage and you're not married with kids. So you have a lot less time pressures and a lot, lot less financial pressures. So yeah, I think I was really blessed in that. I, I was 23 years old when I started the business and um, was learning a lot about business and economics and, and then engineering at uni and was able to apply a lot of those skills, you know, to, to running a business and starting a business. Yeah. And so when you said that the stars aligned, it's almost like luck, but do you think that you can create your own luck at the same time? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I think I really like that saying, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, yes. And, and also having a open mindset or, or an opportunity led mindset. So just being, I guess, I think I'm always, always been a really positive person, but looking out for always looking out for opportunity. Um, yeah. And was there much anxiety around buying assets, bringing them on board, onboarding new people? Because you're doing this at a very young age at the same time. So talk me through that side. Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, I consider myself actually very risk averse, which people struggle to comprehend, um, you know, starting a business and, and running a 
business and, and growing it quite rapidly. Um, but we were always sort of playing catch up. And so through the peaks and troughs of business, uh, you know, with any business, um, we'd try and cross hire for the peaks and then use our equipment, have our equipment utilization for the, for the troughs. So in those first five years, we essentially had 100% utilization. Um, and we'd cross hire uh, quite considerably and, and it's still a way we do it today. Um, yeah, but, it, but I think for me, I, I didn't really draw a wage out of the business for the first five years. So any money we made, we, we reinvested and that was, um, I guess, part of the vision to you know, become a great company, but also now I think of it, the, the biggest thing that actually drove me to buy more equipment was always was the ability to always say yes to our customers. And so I remember one specific time where a big hire company had actually cut us off from hiring from them because they found us to be a threat uh, to their business. And that had the effect that I went out the next day and I bought, purchased an extra 20 signs because I just lost, a, you know, some assurity that we could always cross hire from that company to fulfill our customers' needs. And um, I'd be able to count on my hand the number of times we've had to say no to a customer in 10 years. So, you know, really not wanting to say no and being driven by that you know, desire just to help out our customers and, and always be there for them and be able to supply them. I think it's a really important factor around growing a small business or a startup that you need to always say yes to a certain extent and then uh, maneuver as required. If you, if you try and stay rigid in your ways, you're going to be blocked by so many challenges that you're probably going to stunt your growth. If not, go under. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the great advantages small businesses have over the much larger ones is that um, ability to move quickly, to be adaptable, to meet, you know, specific clients needs and not be, yeah, slow moving and rigid. Yeah. So starting your own business then, what do you think was the biggest challenge uh, in, in owning your own hire company? And then also, how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, I think for me, starting RPM Hire at 23 was the biggest challenge and it was around legitimacy. Um, so I remember the first invoice we issued, it was invoice number 1001 because I didn't, you know, I didn't want it to be invoice number one. And, um, and you know, I had, I remember I had someone ask me, are you going to register for GST? You don't have to, if you're going to earn under 75 grand a year. And I bought the business had only done $18,000 the year before. Um, but the answer was yes, of course, you know, we want to appear like we've, we're doing more than $75,000 a year. So that was probably the biggest challenge for me. And um, I, I quickly learned that I could 
actually use that youth to my advantage. And I did that in a few ways. So I, one was just a, a way of thinking and, and I'd tell uh, customers or potential customers that we're young, we're energetic, we don't necessarily do what every other company does or we're out to improve, you know, to forge our own path. Um, and we did that in a number of ways. Um, damage waiver for me was a really big sore point in the industry. And, and a lot of customers were fed up for paying a damage waiver and then finding out that it actually didn't cover much. And so we, you know, we made our damage waiver quite unique in that um, if a if a VNS board got stolen, the customer wouldn't pay a cent. They'd already paid the damage waiver and it, it covered them. So there was no excess or no um, trying to get out of it. It was a for me, it was about setting up, you know, long-term relationships and, and that sort of thing. And so I think had I been in the industry for years and years, you know, th that would just be an accepted normal that, you know, you, you know, the customer takes the risk. They've got your equipment. They take the risk on, on its security and, uh, you know, they should pay for it. And in, I guess the traffic industry is a little bit unique in that, we actually go and set the equipment up and our customers for a VMS board will, will rarely actually touch it. So it was a bit of a strength that we could tap into against some of the bigger players and, and really play on it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's a good, well, there's two points there I want to talk about. So the first one is the youth. Did you find people almost disregarded you to a certain extent at all or Talk me through that at the very start. Um, I think I feared that they would, but I actually, what I found in reality is that I actually probably had a lot of people um, really look out for me and take me under their wing and, and customers as, as well. Um, uh, but I probably, so I felt probably it was pressure I put on myself, but I felt like I always had to try and prove myself. Um, and prove, um, you know, that I could do it, and I could, uh, I could, you know, solve these issues for our for our customers or provide them a really good service. Um, but in reality, we had some, and we still do have some really wonderful customers that I think actually wanted to see us do really well, and um, you know, were quite really supportive, and um, they're probably. There's certainly some business owners in the traffic management industry would have been the people that I probably learned the most of in those early days. Yeah. And the second point I was going to say was when you started recruiting people in the business, was there one of those people that really understood the industry in there or was it everyone was fairly fresh to the industry? Um, my first ever sort of office employee had worked at a competitor for sort of 10 or 15, 10 years, I think. Um, and she worked with me for 12 months. Um, but then, yeah, I, I sort of, in a way, we butted heads a little bit in, in the way that she went about it. It really wasn't um, the way 
I saw how to run a business or how to interact with customers. And um, so in, in the end, she actually moved and, and started up her own hire company um, with a couple of other people. Um, so in the early days, I found um, the recruiting process was easiest by recruiting uni students that, you know, I was much more comfortable managing um, that are a similar age to me or, or a little bit younger, um, but very flexible, very um, adaptable. We actually found like a really specific um, type of person that worked really well for us as a driver. And that was a uni student that had grown up in the country, um, you know, either studying engineering or, or, a, or a degree similar to that. And that, you know, they were good drivers. They could drive manual vehicles and reverse trailers and, um, then they could work all hours of the night or if you needed them to work 15 hours a day, they could. Um, and then, so yeah, that was, I think in the early days, that's how we sort of did it. And then it's only recently that we've employed people that have been from the higher industry. And I assume it's important that you wanna keep that culture and that mindset to think differently to your competitors and not just go back to what the what's just called the norm is that probably where, where you're at at the moment as well yeah absolutely yeah so uh, not necessarily think differently to our competitors but just try and not take industry norms as a given so and i think that's been one of the benefits so um just a really positive mindset um a, you know, buying into the vision that, that we want to be the best uh, hire company in our field. And, you know, the other thing in, I guess, in the last four or five years that has worked really well for us has been really, commun really clear communication around our values and then sharing them. Uh, in the last couple of years, we, we sort of go through them on a monthly basis with the whole team. And then we tie a lot of our decision-making and um, reviews and um, toolbox meetings all back to those values of the business. And I think that's a certain type of leadership as well, which it sounds like plays a big part in terms of you growing the business. If you don't have that form of leadership to set these values, to set these, these I don't want to call them rules, but the, the standard of the culture within the business, it's hard to grow it in the, the shape and form that you want. So how, how have you learned that leadership side of it? Yeah, I, I think it's immensely important. I've, um, for three years, I've been a, a member of a business group called Entrepreneurs Organisation. And I've learned a lot from um, being a member of that. So we catch up uh, with seven other business owners on a monthly basis in a, in a confidential setting. And then... Um, the intention is to learn off each other and be able to speak freely about our challenges and, and businesses. Um, I've also got a, a business coach for the last couple of years and have learned quite a lot. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't read a lot of books at all, but um, I, I listen to a few podcasts here and there, but I try and, I try and learn from other people. 
And then on the topic of learning, I can see behind you, you've got a diagram of nine, nine points. What are these points? So that's um, the, it's the nine roles and responsibilities of a CEO. So we've got vision, leadership, empowerment, relationships, feedback, uh, entrepreneurship, physical management, personal style, and oversee execution. And for me, that was uh, probably once again, being a young leader, and I've only just started calling myself a, a CEO, but I always struggled with, with title, um, especially for me personally. Um, it's just sort of concentrating me and my thoughts on a daily basis about what I need to do as a, as a CEO of a business and um, how I'd like to lead our organisation. And so how much time are you working in the business compared to on the business? Yeah, good question. It's probably 50-50 at the moment, which is much better than, than previous years. Um, yeah, and I still very much enjoy working in the business. A lot of, a lot of the higher industry is problem solving. Um, and, you know, I really enjoy problem solving. And I don't like to call it putting out fires because I think if, you, if you're quick enough on the problem solving, it, it, it's not a, not a fire necessarily. Yeah, so 50-50, I think, at the moment. Yeah. I, th I think it's a challenge that a lot of business owners go through where if they don't make that adjustment and they get 10, 15, 20 years into their business, trying to employ a general manager or a CEO or someone to help out in that role becomes a big challenge in itself. So it's, it's good that you've been able to identify that because I, I know many people that really struggle with that. And it turns into a bit of a micromanaging situation as well, where you're trying to tell your team what to do and you need to let them grow into their roles and their place in the business as well. Absolutely. And, and it, has, it has been a challenge for me. Um, we've got some wonderful, wonderful staff here um, that are really capable. The, I think in the early days or when they, you know, when they first started, it, just that desire not to make any mistakes for our customers probably came across as, you know, it, whether it be micromanagement or just you know, constantly wanting to know everything that's happening. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's sort of been forced upon, upon us because of our growth to let go and, and put trust in people. And, and you know, that when, when we have, those people have really shone through and um, yeah, have done really well, so. That's awesome. And so describe how you felt when you hit the 10 year anniversary for RPM hire? Yeah, pretty humbling actually. Um, you know, a lot of people say even three years in business is, you know, 90% fail in the first three years. I can't remember the stat exactly, but yeah, it, it's been a really incredible journey over the last 10 years and the next 10, I'm very excited about. Um, it was a great, yeah, great sense of achievement for the whole team, I think. And there's certainly a lot of people here at RPM that 
have worked really hard and and you know deserve to celebrate uh, that milestone as well. And you said you expanded into Sydney before the podcast. So talk me through that expansion. When did you open up the the Sydney location? And is it a mirror of the Victorian setup? What what's the the setup that like? Yeah, sure. It's um, a little bit smaller than Victoria at the moment, but we we offer all the same products as we do in Victoria. We opened up about two years ago and and we started off, um, we'd actually won a job for 50 VMS boards for quite a really high profile um, closure of the M4 freeway. And we had some innovation around that as well. We had some portable uh, cameras that uh, were mounted on trailers and we had a UHF interrupt device as well. And, and up there, I don't think anyone else had those particular products. Um, my hesitation, uh, I'd been planning to open up in Sydney for probably a year and a half prior. And my hesitation was always around keeping a consistent service and, um, and upholding that high level of yeah, customer service, I think. And I had a, I sort of had a light bulb moment just before we opened up and uh, a mentor of mine at the time runs a national business and they ran all their operations out of the one office and just ran the other states remotely. And that his justification for that was the ability to control quality and, and the interactions with customers and, and um, knowledge sharing and, and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, that was a really, it was a big light bulb moment for me. And it, you know, it's actually worked out really, really well running the operations out of the same same branch here in Melbourne. And then um, it's had its challenges, but overall, I think it's been really positive. So do you want to talk through how that actually works? Because I think a lot of people would be interested to understand how that connection works between the two locations when does the phone divert do people track the the utilization and the availability between locations and the, how do you manage the transport then like how, how does it actually work in terms of managing out of one location yeah sure well first things first i think with our business we deliver 99 percent of our equipment um, so we don't get people coming to our depot to pick equipment up um, and so that makes it a lot easier we've got uh, four drivers up in Sydney um, that obviously work in Sydney and the vehicles are located in Sydney and then uh, operate all the phones just come through to uh, to Melbourne. So we've now got a, a dedicated operations manager for New South Wales, um, but she's still based here in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, so she's got a phone number that will, you know, if they press two for... New South Wales, it'll divert through to her phone. And then most of our communications over email uh, nowadays. So really easy to manage remotely. All our signs are, are programmed over the internet as well. So that makes it easy. Um, and then we've got GPS trackers in our, in our sort of utes and some of our other equipment as well. So we can sort of keep an eye on things remotely and, and have a really good understanding of where our drivers are, where the equipment is, 
um, you know, how it's performing and how it's operating. Yeah, it must give you excitement around the possibilities for further expansion. If that model is working, you could really open up a location anywhere in Australia if you wanted to and, and relay that same methodology. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even extend it to other places in the world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think I remember having going on holiday to um, Thailand and sitting on the beach one morning and, and we had we had staff, but there were a few things that I had to do. And so just sitting on the beach one morning with my laptop hooked up to the Wi-Fi off my phone and um, I was changing messages on VMS boards back in Melbourne um, in, in real time. So, yeah, I think technology these days has really opened up a lot of people's eyes about what is possible. Um, yeah, and you know, ours as well. I think we'll, and once again, that's another example of using youth to our advantage. But it sounds like you almost gave away a little bit of a hint of overseas expansion. One day, yeah, <laughs> one day, I think so. Um, my vision for the business has always been to provide an avenue for our staff, you know, to continue to learn and grow, and myself as well, but but also extend that out to our staff. And so, yeah, who knows? In five years, we might have conquered Australia and, and ready for the next challenge. So what advice would you give to somebody that's thinking about starting up their own hire business? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I think, and I did a, a, um, a little bit of work on a similar topic um, recently. So... I came up with 10, 10 points, but one is focus on providing value instead of trying to be the cheapest. I think certainly our strategy has always been to be the best and understanding your strategy for me has been uh, also understanding what you're not going to do. And so we weren't interested in being the biggest and we definitely didn't want to be the cheapest. We just wanted to be the best. And then for me, all the decisions we make on a daily basis reflect back to that strategy. So having a really clear strategy, um, you know, work hard. I think starting your own business does require a lot of hard work and, and there's no substitute for that. Um, there's a saying out there, work smarter, not harder. But I think if you can actually do both, then you'll go a lot further. I think it's also really important to find passion in what you do. I know I'm really passionate about VMS boards and, you know, they're essentially a communication tool and often between a major project and, and the community and there's always tension in that space. And so if we can provide really clear messaging, um, ensure our equipment's always working and easily uh, read by the community, then we're doing our little bit for that project as well find you know don't be afraid to build relationships and you know to call your customers your friends or, or your suppliers your friends i think that's really important when we you know live in such a busy world and and we're off you know working long hours to find joy in what you do and and but also have that personal um personal interaction is really important 
having a positive mindset is really, uh, really helpful when running your own business because you can, you know, if, if um, and maybe the anxious sort of type of person's not suited to running a business, but there's problems that pop up almost on a daily basis that you could really get hung up on and you've got to keep moving forward. One I really like is this notion that nobody's perfect. And if you can accept it, you'll be able to, it, I, I think it's, it might be linked to my leadership style, but even from a personal perspective, don't expect yourself to be perfect. So allow, you know, allow people to make mistakes and don't be too harsh on them. But I think that coupled with a, with a, with the right mindset and, and that people that are willing to learn and open to learning um, makes that really important. And yeah, I think the last one would just be never stop learning. Um, always, we can always do better. We can always learn new things. And that's been a really great lesson for me over the years. Yeah, all, all the great points and did you document this for another project? Did you as well, or uh, did I did you... a post a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was ten lessons. It was called ten lessons from ten years in business. It's it's good that you also make the time to reflect and sort of learn from your, your past as well. I think a lot of people are just. I like to use the analogy: people are always on the treadmill and they never get off, yes. and they're yeah. just stuck on the treadmill. I love that analogy, and I feel like it can apply to anything in life, not just business. It can be your, your family, your friends, sport, education, mental health, whatever it might be. It, it all, if you don't take a time to reflect, it can really impact whatever you're doing. Absolutely. And it, well, it's a way of learning too, isn't it? Um, and learning how you can do better or, or recognizing what you did really well. So. And so with this mindset, and the way you're growing the business and thinking a little bit differently around the norm, as you mentioned earlier in the industry, when we fast forward to like 2025, what do you think the landscape of the equipment rental industry will look like? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, I actually think our industry and the construction industry are actually really slow moving industries. So I don't, I don't think a whole lot is going to change, but um, but small steps. So I think you know any paper, and we don't really use paper in our business anymore. But paper will be a thing of the past. Everything will be electronic delivery dockets. Um, you know, even filling out damage reports and. Um, loading records and that sort of thing we all do we do all of that online now um so i think that will become norm the norm a lot more electric electrification of equipment and vehicles delivery vehicles you know i'd love to see a an electric ute that we could go and deliver equipment with um and just probably more solutions attached to the higher equipment so not necessarily just hiring out and i'm trying to be i guess very broad in the in the when i'm talking about hire 
But in general hire, I think that could be videos accompanying the equipment on how to, to use it. Um, you know, we've seen the things like lasers and with, with cutting saws and, and um, a greater use of technology for that sort of equipment. Um, I'd hope in general hire a bit more training and compliance would come into it. Um, I know when I started off in general hire, anyone could come and hire a, a bobcat or a scissor lift that would go up to six metres or a cherry picker. There were no licences or, 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 or the like needed. And so I think just making sure that as a, you know, as, as business owners that we're not just hiring equipment to anyone, that we're making sure they're trained on how to use it safely. Yeah, and I think to that point, it's almost like, as you mentioned from the solution side as well, understanding the, the requirements for the job and not letting the customer dictate what they're renting at the same time. It's, hey, we, we need to reach a certain height or is there any surroundings behind it? What, what are the, what are the, what's the level of the ground? What, what's, what are the, um, the, the parameters around the hire? Whereas I guess if you let the customer dictate it, it could cause injury. They wanted to come back from another hire because they got the wrong machine. Uh, it gives a whole range of things come out of it. So I think there's, there's also obviously having the licenses to, to operate the equipment, but understanding the need the actual need for the customer as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. A, a funny story. I remember um, in general hire, a guy had hired a chainsaw and I always used to ask, how did the equipment go? How did you go? Um, and even one of the older mechanics came up to me one day and he said, don't ask that because you're not going to like the response. But this particular guy hired the chainsaw, said it was shit house. And when I had a look down at it, he'd put the chain on backwards. Um, and, but looking back on that, I really wouldn't feel comfortable hiring a chainsaw to, you know, to anyone. Um, you know, there's a, there's a fair bit of skill involved and needed to operate equipment like that safely. And so that, that would be a concern of mine. Now you spoke about mentors a little bit earlier on and about a business coach and then the group that you go to as well. So who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective? Yeah. So the, the very early days I mentioned, I worked at a small business called Glen Iris Hire. And so the owner there, Ken Rowland really took me on um, almost like, as he would his own son. And that was really, really, uh, you know, a massive influence on my, on the business in the early days and my development. And often it's just having someone there as a sound sounding board to work through, you know, what at the time feels like the biggest problem in the world. And, you know, over time, and, and looking back on was, was just a little blimp. But um, so he was fantastic to me, very, very good to me, always generous with his time. 
you know, at one stage even offered to, to lend me some money if the bank finance hadn't have come through um, to buy more equipment. And so, yeah, I, I still, to this day, feel, I still call in my boss, even though I haven't worked there for eight years. Um, and then I've tried to learn from a lot of people, but the, the Entrepreneurs' Organisation has been a great learning group for me. Um, they're really big on uh, sharing from experience and not giving advice. And, and so that gives you great ownership over your own decision that you, you're never, you know, doing something because someone else told you to do it. Um, and then in the confidential setting, we're able to talk really openly and um, freely about our own businesses. And, and so that is a really great culture for learning and learning off each other. And how can people join these groups? Is there an enrollment process or how does it work? Yeah, so Entrepreneurs Organisation, uh, you'd find it by just typing it in online. It's actually a worldwide organisation and it's very um, learning focused. I think you have to either be a founder or a business owner to join that particular group. But there's lots of other groups out there that you know, do similar sorts of things. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on your your mentor with the gentleman that you, you worked for. The fact that he employed you, brought you into the business, mentored you, and then also wanted you to go start your own business. Like that, that must really make you feel good, Jen, to know that someone that was out there, not just to make them a dollar and grow their business, but up make you the person you are today as well. Yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think I'll always be indebted to him and, and um, he knows I'm really grateful for, for his help along the way. But yeah, I think um, hopefully one day I can give back to him. And I think he's one of his sons has just taken over the business and hopefully I can repay the favor by uh, you know, helping his son along his journey uh, in the hire industry. That's great. And so if you could give some advice to your younger self, what would you say? Um, try and balance your social and physical health um, and try and have a bit more of a work-life balance. I've worked incredibly hard over the last 10 years and no regrets, but, but I definitely have sacrificed you know, friendships and, and spending time with friends and family, um, you know, and, and I often put my own health last. And so that's something that I'd like to, you know, give myself that advice right now and, and start to get a bit more of that sort of balance back. Um, but yeah, and then similar things to like I mentioned before, um, I certainly don't regret working hard finding passion in, in what you do um, has been, yeah, really good. That's true. Yeah, I think it, it is hard to start your own business or even be really focused on your career even and not sacrifice certain things. So it, it is a balance and you probably only learn that with age as well. You learn what your boundaries are and you learn when you need to sort of give yourself a break or you learn when you're, you're fracturing a relationship or whatever it might be. 
uh, you, you never know you're never going to know that from day one it, it's it, you got to learn yeah, from experience absolutely. and it's not it's not easy and I, don't, I, I think I never pretend that it is easy and part of me has accepted that that I haven't been in balance but I but I think that's not stopping me in trying to achieve it moving forward with all that you've achieved in the last 10 years at just a young age as well, like how do you define success? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, and my, probably my answer to that question has changed over the years. And so for me, and it's, it's not, and I'm not trying to claim it as original, but the one, the definition of success that resonates most with me is the ability to positively influence other people. And that's how I define success. All right, Ashwell, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Great. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Hire.